And there's three things that I want to talk about that will, will allow us to realize how we can whittle our lives down to that one thing that really matters. The first thing that, that Scripture talks about Martha in this story is that she was distracted. And the first thing that we need to whittle away are distractions. We need to eliminate distractions. <clears throat> distractions come in so many forms, so many different ways, and they pull us away from that, that one thing, the one thing, of course, sitting at the Lord's feet. Martha, or Mary Jo wasn't just sitting there just chilling out with Jesus. She was listening to his teaching. But we have to eliminate distractions. What will it take for us to find peaceful, quality, unrushed time with him? What will it actually take to find peaceful, quality, unrushed time with him? Where we're not just fitting him in. We're not just making space for him. Do you realize, and it occurred to me this week, no one, because we immediately come up with all the things, right? No one was busier than Jesus. Think about it. If you read Scripture, if you consider the life that he lived, when you start healing people, guess what? Everyone shows up. They were literally following Jesus around like white on rice. Everywhere he went, they were there. They would seek him out. They would hunt him down. Jesus, if he did not do some things, would not have one moment to himself. There was no one that was busier than Jesus, and yet Jesus sets the example. What did Jesus do? And I want us to, to consider what he did. Let's look at some scripture in Luke chapter 5, verse 16. It talks about him withdrawing. It says he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Even Jesus himself realized the need to get away to desolate places and pray. He had to get away from the crowds. He had to get away from the noise, from the craziness. And we do too. We have to get away from it all to be with him. There are a lot of different ways to do that. For me, sometimes it's, it's getting out on the front porch. You know, for, for Diane and I, it's become getting up early in the morning before the day's begun. Just together. It's this quiet time and not meaning that necessarily in a spiritual way. It is. You know, for some of us, it's, it's getting away. Even in the midst of, like, a, for me, sometimes I can zone out and just be with the Lord in a Starbucks, even though there's other people around. It's like pulling away. But Jesus knew how to withdraw to desolate places. It says in Mark 1.35, another thing about Jesus, it says, and, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. The sacrifice, unfortunately, sometimes maybe you think, I don't know how to, how to do this, has to come even earlier. Jesus knew that that was going to be the time because all the crowds, I guess, were sleeping. They were in the cities. They were, they were in those places. And Jesus got up very early in the morning while it was still dark and went out to a desolate place. And it says there he prayed to the point where even his own disciples didn't know where he was. And they finally says, and Simon and those who were with, with him searched for him. Where is Jesus? Where has he gone? And they found him and said to him, hey, everyone's looking for you. 
Because everyone was always looking for Jesus. Everyone was always seeking him out. There was no space, but Jesus created the space. Here's some things to remember. Number one is that Jesus purposefully got away. It wasn't by chance. It wasn't by accident. Well, I just happened to have a good day. I had some peace today. And for us, we kind of are like that. We're, we kind of go with the waves. Maybe we'll have a good day. and Maybe we'll have a bad day when it comes to this time with the Lord. But he purposefully got away. Another thing he knew how to do was he knew when to stop. He knew when to say no. He knew when to, to walk away from the crowds and to go to a desolate place. He knew when to say no. And he understood, I think, more than anything else. You think about the aspect of getting up in the morning. For, for us, that can be a real sacrifice. Maybe there's something else that has to go for that time to be where it needs to be. If there was anything that Jesus understood, right? This is pretty obvious, is that Jesus understood sacrifice. He was willing to give his very life so that we could be in connection with him again, understand what life is all about. He gave his life for us. And there are many times we are unwilling to sacrifice, to create, to make that in its proper place. <clears throat> so we read Mary is hanging out with Jesus. She's listening to his teaching. And you can almost feel Martha's emotion building up right, as she is getting ready to go all passive-aggressive on Jesus. Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha's running around, I'm assuming, preparing a meal, okay? And she's getting ready to get all passive-aggressive on Jesus and says to Jesus, don't you care? I am working so hard by myself. Make her help me. Tell that lazy Mary to get off her, and I'm sure she didn't say this, and help me. I'm sure none of you have ever acted that way. None of you have ever had those feelings, right? And here's where we run into one of the, the hardest things that has to be whittled out of our lives. You know, whoever cooks at home, you've probably been there before, right? Or there's something that you've done, you've just cooked this elaborate meal, everyone loved it, but then you're left with a pile of dishes that everyone seems to ignore. They're going about, hey, is having a great time, and inside you're just like... Or you're the parent that's turning the lights behind everyone that's left them on, picking up behind family members, picking up trash, whatever those kinds of things. And on the inside, those feelings begin to just bubble up and get irritating and irritating. But you know what? What's interesting during those family times and those family suppers even is that those that are talking, what's, the, what's Thanksgiving, what's Christmas about? It's not about the meal, right? It's not about the gifts. We know it's about the Lord, but it's, about, it's also about that time together. And if that's spoiled by this passive-aggressive, get things done, what happened? Jesus says to, 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 to Martha, you're, you're missing out on, on the one thing. You're missing out. But in this case, with, with Martha... She has this, this passive-aggressive, Jesus, don't you care, tell her to help me mentality. You know, Jesus, don't you see all the hard work that's going into this meal that I'm making for you? Really is what's being said in the undertone, isn't it? To really whittle down 
to the one thing, Jesus. The other thing that has to be removed from our life, and this is a hard one, is pride. Pride has to be whittled away because pride will always find a way to jump in between you and the one thing, between you and Jesus. <clears throat> you see, one of the things that we would consider the story of Mary and Martha in eliminating pride is that we cannot confuse works with worship. You can't confuse works with worship. Doing stuff in and of itself is worship. Sure, things have to get done. It's not that things don't need to get done, but without worship or without love, it's worthless. For Martha became all about her. I got to get this stuff done. I'm going to just tell, tell Mary to come and help me. It became about her. She became the focus rather than Jesus, who, who Mary clearly saw was the real focus, the one thing. We cannot confuse the works with the worship. And we can never question God's character either. Think about what Martha had to say. It was pretty some major gall for her to say to Jesus what she did, if you think about it. We shouldn't question his character, Jesus. She says to Jesus, don't you care? And you almost picture Jesus going, whoa, what? You know, in Mark 4, chapter 4, verse 36, there's another story of some people that kind of acted the same way, the disciples. It says, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, talking about Jesus. It says, and the other boats were with him, and it says, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. It was dangerous to go across the sea, and this kind of, it was, the way it was, the sea was, I think the Sea of Galilee in this condition when the winds would come, it would just cause this small sea to just be very dangerous. And so they're in this boat, and the, the boat's already filling up, and it says, but, but he was in the stern. Jesus is asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Don't you care, Jesus? It says, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And this is what Jesus said to them. He said, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? It's really interesting that Jesus would say that. They said, don't you care? Jesus didn't say, yeah, of course I care and I love you and I never let anything happen to you. He says, why are you so afraid? Why do you still have no faith? Why, why do you still have no faith? You know, the question is, did you really think that you were going to drown with me in the boat with you? Did you really think you were going to drown with me in the boat? You really think I don't care. Where is your faith? Because it, it becomes all about us when we try to take things into our hands. We make things about us. Pride gets in the way. And you know, the other thing is we should never command the Lord to do something. Jesus, tell her to help me. Tell that lazy Mary, <laughs> tell her to help me. You see, we cannot live life, this, this sermon series again is called For Him, right? We cannot live a life that's all about Him when it's always all about 
us. I cannot live a life that's all about him when it's always all about us. I want to shotgun some, some verses to you about pride real quick. In Proverbs 16, 18, it says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You've, you've heard this one before. Pride causes destruction in so many different ways when it all becomes about us. Proverbs 11.2 says this. It says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Pride is, is a disgraceful thing. And it's funny because we don't really get that in America. To be prideful seems to be this, this great thing. Well, this, this, this person is put together. They're really confident in themselves. And really, in so many ways, it's just this, this big elaborate version of just pride. Here's what, to get even deeper, what Proverbs 16.5 says about what the Lord thinks of, of pride. It says, everyone who is, who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. The Lord will not, cannot deal with pride. Because it's not about us. It's all about him. And Martha had to realize it wasn't about her and it wasn't about the meal. It was about the one thing, the one person, Jesus. The thing we have to realize sometimes is we, we, pride is, is not this thing that's always so easy to spot. It's not just about the, the arrogant football jock that comes in and it's all about him kind of thing and those people that are easy to spot, right? You know, that kind of have that swagger, if you will. Pride is actually really deceptive. There's a, there's a verse in Jeremiah 17 that, that basically says this. It says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And who can understand it? It's, it's deceitful. Pride is, is very deceitful and shows up in so many different ways. But it's often pride that keeps us from the feet of Jesus. So that's the second thing that needs to be whittled away. Here's the last thing. <clears throat> the final reduction that has to play, take place in our lives for us to, to have the one thing that really matters is, is this, is that there's, there's one friend, if you will, that has to be removed. So say, choose better friends, okay? There's one friend that has to be removed from a life that should not be a friend. Here's what I mean by that. 1 John chapter 2 talks about some things. Talks about where focuses are in our lives. It really kind of goes back in some ways to the distractions. But it says this in 1 John, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. See, there's this, 
there's this love of the world, this friendship with the world that, that has to be dealt with, that has to be handled because what's happened so many times is that people become more in love with the things of the world than God himself. The things that he's given and provided us with, we become in love with those things rather than him. You know how... How crazy would it be for, you know, one Christmas you, you decide to give your kids all these toys and they get the toys and, you know, and rather than thanking you and, and loving you for your gracious gifts, they just fall in love with the toys and they never have anything else to do with you. Their life has become all about the toys. It's become all about this toy and that toy and, and this toy in their lives, but you've been cast aside. In so many ways, that's what happens in this scenario is Jesus basically, is, God is saying, you, you're in love with the things of the world. You're in love with the things that I've, uh, in the world that I've placed you in, but you're not in love with me. It's all about the world instead of about me. It's about, it's about, you know, it's about this job. It's about the money. It's about the career. It's about the, the, the whatever else, anything but Jesus. Those aren't all bad things, right? You gotta have a job. You need money to take care of yourself. You know, you, you have your kids need an education. You got all these, you know, there's different hobbies and things we like to do, this, that, and the other. But when it becomes about, keyword about those things, and that can be very deceptive and subtle, then it's that's what we're falling in love with rather than the Lord. Do not love the world or the what? Things. Say the next word in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You're, you're focused on all those things. You're focused on what the world has to offer. It's the, the things that I mentioned when I started out talking about being a teenager. I wanna, it's, it's all about the next thing for when I, was, when I was 14 or whatever. It's all about getting the license. That's what the world's all about. That's what my life's all about. So if I can just get my license, I'll have freedom. I can feel the wind in my hair that I had back then. You know, that's what life's all about. It certainly wasn't about Jesus back then for me. It was all about that, get that opportunity. And then what's the next thing you look forward to? Next, I'll be 18. I'm 18. I'm, it's an, oh man, I'm officially an adult. What can I do now that I'm 18? I could smoke. Okay, great. I've got that extra freedom. What do you look for when, look next after 18? What's the next big number? 21 where I can drink and I can buy alcohol for myself. It's no longer illegal. There's nothing to be hidden. I have arrived at 21. 21, I can, I can really have freedom. It's all about finally being 21. And then after 21, then what is it about? What's the next stage, you know? Maybe it's... Maybe it's finally graduating from college at some point, like, phew, or if you go to college, finally some freedom from there. <clears throat> then it seems to be becoming about money, right? There's always something. There's always another next level. It's, it's kind of like this rabbit hole of video games that, 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 that kids play, and then you even play it as well. It's like words for friends. You never come out of this, this rabbit hole, and you're just you're playing, and you're playing, and you're thinking you're accomplishing things, right? You get into the next level, and I got past this, and I got past that, and man, I got all these points. And, but it, what does it really gain? It's, it's nothing. It's a game. Life is not about the games we play. 
It's not about words with friends. It's not about getting to the next level on this or that, or I've, I finally, if, you know, I'm making this amount of money now, and now I've gone up in this career. All that stuff, as we said from the beginning, what? It will not last. Mary chose the one thing, and it will not be taken away from her. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Paul is talking to, to the church, and he, he's saying, He's, he's talking about some things that he needs, and he says, hey, help me out with this. He says, for Demas, this guy Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. I guess in Thessalonica it was spring break. He's just gone, abandoned Paul, and took off because he was in love with some aspect of what the world had to offer. He just abandoned him and left him there. And there's so many ways that we abandon the Lord, so many ways we turn our back on him. We need to be reminded of Mark chapter 4, verse 19, where Jesus is talking about growth. He's talking about the seeds placed in the right place in the right kind of soil, the soil of the heart, if you will. And he's talking about, and he says, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and, and the desires for other things, they enter in and they what? They choke out the word and it proves unfruitful. The, the love for the things in the world, those distractions, those things that we go after, choke out the life that should be there. They choke it out. One final verse for you this morning comes from Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Thinking about our passion for the Lord, it says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. There was two passions that we, we view when we look at Martha and we look at Mary. Mary's passion was to sit at Jesus' feet and to hear what he had to say. Martha's passion was getting things done. Martha's passion was herself. There's one thing that matters. There's only one person that matters, and that's Jesus. Let our, let our zeal for him not be slothful. Let our zeal be him, be like Mary at Jesus' feet. She's intent. She's leaning in. Her desire, her passion is for him. Be, be not slothful in the zeal to say, okay, Lord, show me how to whittle these things out so that you, the one person, is always at the forefront. It's all about you. It's not about Martha. It's, all, it's not about Mary even. It's all about you. It has to be for him. Would you stand with me?